finished events info. I'm going to play one promo. And then it'll be time for um, Living Rider, so please stay tuned for that. Come on, you set a baby in the cradle and you go big ass and black 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 Charles Manson. He was actually introducing the two and throat singers on Dramaduri Express. Come and join us on cover many other mysteries on Dramaduri Express every Sunday, 11 till noon, only on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. Just in the unexpected Bow this was William Kidd Persuaded of a buried gold His one head testified Through this the old philosopher Got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, I'm so happy to have Farnoosh Pati here in the studio. Farnoosh, welcome. Thank you. And we've got your book, Great Guns, out with Canarium Books. Um, just going to be coming out in April, actually, right? Yes. Um, and we've got a copy here. And tonight, you're actually going to be getting your first copy from the editors, uh, Josh and Lynn, when they come to town, yes. um, which is so exciting. <laughs> um, and everyone, I have let Farnoosh already, you know, I'll touch the book and <laughs> I've seen it. I just don't have my own copy. My yet. own copy. So, but you will, you will, um, or you may have this one. Um, but Farnoosh, you're also in town to, to as part of the Zell Visiting Writers Series. You're going to read tomorrow at the at UMA at the University Art Museum, um, Helmut Stern Auditorium at five. Um, with, with Anthony Madrid, um, one of my pressmates um, and the author of one of, uh, of of a poetry collection called "I Am Your Slave." Now do what I say. <laughs> and there you go. So we've got great guns, mm-hmm. <laughs> and your titles go very nicely <laughs> together. <laughs> yeah. Was this? Did you and Anthony plan this? Or? No, no, but um, I think it makes sense. You know, because uh, we're part of the same press, and somehow we. Or kin. <laughs> yes, yes. The, um, well, before we get too far away from the song, mm-hmm. um, Farnoosh, could you tell us a little bit about the first song you picked at the top of the show? Sure. Um, it's called Trust in the Unexpected, and it's by Josephine Foster, who's a singer and songwriter. And um, that song comes from her album called Graphic as a Star, 
which I think came out in 2000, I want to say 10, I'm not sure, a couple of years ago. And um, it's a recitation of, um, I think it's 32 or 37 Emily Dickinson poems. So that was the poem of Dickinson's that starts Trust in the Unexpected. And did, I don't know, listeners out there, it might have sounded like uh, Farnoosh knew a lot about um, the discography of the, and that's because you're no stranger to being at a radio station. Oh, right. Um, yes. When I was in college um, in LA, I um, spent a lot of time at the KLA, it was then called KLA radio station at UCLA and um, <laughs> had a uh, you know, two hour slot every week and one hour was playing whatever new music was in rotation. And then the second hour was your specialty show if you wanted one. I had a Beatles specialty show. <laughs> Beatles all 60 minutes, mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Who was your favorite Beatle, Farnoosh? Oh, um, favorite Beatle. Gosh, probably the least popular one. <laughs> Who's that? <laughs> Ringo, yeah. The drummer? <laughs> yeah. That's nice of you to say. I was almost going to say George. That's an interesting thing to do. Like, who do you think is the most right, popular? Right, no, I looked around like, as I said. Unpopular? Because I, like... <laughs> <laughs> I love George. I wanted to say, even though I thought he was the most unpopular. Oh. And Ringo is your favorite. I guess so, sure. Oh, uh, <laughs> and he's still he's still out there. He's still alive and kicking. So, um, so good for Ringo. <laughs> Farnoosh, I'm going to actually, before we go further, read your short bio from the I back. That Ringo didn't of, hear that. Of great, I, I know. I thought he wasn't around. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but now it means once that happens, do you know it actually means that the person gets like a longevity is then guaranteed. Doesn't mean the opposite. Okay. <laughs> Gulp. <laughs> no. Okay, so here's the bio in the back mm -hmm. of Farnoosh's book, Great Guns, out with Canarium Press. Um, just this month, well, April technically. Farnoosh Fatih was born in 1981. Her poems, translations, and prose have appeared in Boston Review, Fence, Everyday Genius, Poetry, Jacket 2, and elsewhere. She lives in Oakland, California. Farnoosh, welcome again to Living Writers. Thanks Thank for Thank you so much, G. It's such a pleasure to be here. It's so great to meet you and great to be in Michigan for the first time. And 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 welcome to Michigan then. Thank you. In the snow. <laughs> yeah, we we wanted you to know that it is cold here. It's like <laughs> Michigan authentic weather. Um Farnoosh, when you were putting together this great guns, um, how long have you been putting this collection together? Mm -hmm. Um um, well, the poems in the collection, um, some of them are as old as eight years. Um, That's not old. <laughs> <laughs> so I, it was more like I began writing this book about eight or nine years ago and kind of just kept writing and writing. And the poems, eventually at some point I had enough to and an impetus to start to gather them into a collection. And um, Is that a strange moment when you start feeling that they need to be together in some way? Because did they feel very individual when you were yes, making them? <laughs> definitely, definitely. Um, so that, you know, that's a good question. Yeah, I didn't have like um, a set of themes or a, a vision for how I wanted it to be uh, a manuscript initially. So um, absolutely, it was more just my, my idea all along was just to put together my favorite poems. <laughs> and so once I had enough, that's what I did. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. And so are there some poems with their noses out of joint now because they know they haven't been picked or, or are they just sort of waiting because they haven't come to their fruition, right? I really think these were the, the, just these were the survivors, you know. So. <laughs> Uh, yes, I know what yeah. you mean by you know that. What I, mean? I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. Well, when when you were a little girl, did you start writing poems, or what was your path to making these poems? Yeah. Um. Hmm. I was. I mean, I think I I was, you know, into probably song and and uh, rhymes and things like that from a young age, um, and then I. I you know, I think at some point, um, maybe in high school, I started to feel like um, more like I needed writing and, you know, and that um, it sustained me. And and that sense just got stronger and stronger. So, um, yeah, like I feel like my first poems that were like shared with the world or that weren't just for myself were kind of in the forms of like love notes, you know, things like, you know, feeling like I really admired someone, a friend, you know, and just couldn't tell them. But, you know, and so it would come out as as poems. And I felt like that was, uh, you know, the friendly slash creepy thing I did for for all the people (laughs) that I really, you know, loved. And um, and then, um, yeah, and then I think kind of just through reading and, and, and writing and um, that they just kind of grew and, and kind of when you f- to formalize it, when you find like, you know, it's your major and <laughs> whatnot, oh, and, right. you know, in college or whatnot, that kind of shifts things and you're introduced to, to you know, a whole new way of relating to other writers and um, books and things like that. So, And when you said you wrote the, the poems, yeah. Um, that were letters did you did so you actually gave them to the people because you because mm-hmm. you prefaced it by saying sharing mm-hmm. them with the world mm-hmm. so that's really brave so because I think some people they're writing the poems and mm-hmm. part of that 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 publicness of them isn't always coming naturally but you from the get-go well I think it you know is never not embarrassing or um not you know um frightening but um it was actually, I, I think that they weren't necessarily poems as you would recognize them, you know. Um, so it would be like a hundred things I really love about <laughs> my friend, <laughs> you know. And it would be like the way that a spoon quivers right before it goes into his mouth. And, and so it's like not necessarily um, here's my poetry, but like this is this thing that, you know, is especially for you and, and would require you to understand it as a poem. Um, so... So yeah, but I don't, you know, I don't think I ever shared poems that I was writing, um, you know, separate from people or not for people um, until I was in college and tend to be pretty still rec- private about that process. So it's a big deal to, to finish a book and put it out into the world. <laughs> yes. Oh, well, and congratulations. It's a beautiful book. Thanks. Yeah. Canarium is incredible. And um, I was really lucky that I had my friend Lynn Buckley, who's a amazing designer um do a painting um for the cover and so i'm really really and was the painting to go with the title great Mm -hmm. guns yeah i had some doodles which she's she which i like passed her way and then she kind of transformed it with her um art and uh and yeah i mean there's there's you know 
the guns <laughs> there and there's like these are you know like flames or candles or do- oh. water drops or i mean lynn's just incredible the way she can she can make meanings so many meanings um in her her visuals and so it's wonderful that you say that too farnoosh this mm-hmm. like the um the multitude of meanings because it seems like that's what's happening in your poems too mm-hmm. um that that poem sympathy comes to mind too, where it kind of go, you you almost think it's going to be this one way, and then it's it's really not, which is lovely <laughs> and surprising. Um, and Thanks. maybe let's see. Well, so you Lynn was you were able to pick something that you wanted for the cover yeah, for really your lucky. book, mm-hmm. and the, yeah, that doesn't really always happen, Mm-mm, does it? No, that's why yeah, I'm very grateful. And so, so these books, and so hopefully soon, if if not, they hopefully will let people buy them tomorrow at Actually, the, you can, the art museum, mm-hmm. or you can get it already on. Yeah, it's online. been available, um, you know, for pre-order, and now you can just order it on uh, SPD, which is the small press distribution, um, or Canarium's website. <laughs> and actually, there are three books that were just born. So it's my book, Robert Fernandez's Pink Reef, and um, Paul Killebrew's Ethical Consciousness. Um, so all three of them are brand new and, and oh wonderful! <laughs> Robert Fernandez, friend of the show. So yes, oh, cool. and, did, and and Russ kindly sent a book of his too. So oh, that, great. So yeah. go to Canarium Press, the website, mm-hmm. and order your books. Um, that would be great. You could do that. We're going to take a short break, so everyone can go do that now if you feel like it, folks. <laughs> um, you've got living writers today. Farnoosh Fatih is here. Her book, Great Guns. I'm T Hetzel. We'll be right back. You're old enough to learn the makings of a man Listen to me, baby, it's time to settle down Am I asking too much for you to stick around? Every boy wants a girl He can trust to the very end Baby, that's you, won't you stay? But till then, when I feel lips begging too weak I can't stop Living Writers, I'm T. Hetzel today. Farnoosh Fatih is here. Her book, Great Guns. 
out with Canarium Press. Thanks to Greg and to Stephanie and to Tex for um, being in the engineering booth. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and giving us the cues and the levels and all of that good stuff. Um, Farnoosh, mm-hmm. can you tell us a little bit about this song? Sure. Because you've, t- you've chosen all the songs for the program, so this will, this is great. Yeah. That so w- different than the first one. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was Klaus Nomi. Uh, and the song was called Lightning Strikes, and it's probably familiar, that song, to everyone, but maybe you didn't know Klaus Nomi did a cover of it. Um, and uh, Klaus Nomi uh, was an incredible um, singer, songwriter, performer, um, who was mostly based in New York around the kind of pop era boom and uh, was discovered by David Bowie in like a cabaret lounge. And he was initially trained as an opera singer, but then he became this kind of one act mystery um, who um, did amazing videos and covers um, of of songs and um the video lightning strikes is especially great so (laughs) i am eager to actually go (laughs) on youtube and see (laughs) oh and when when folks if you're on youtube looking for close know me as well um for noosh has a a, one of your um poems that you attach like the ekphrastic piece you you're reading it at over like with the art piece next Mm -hmm. to it Mm -hmm. is that something that you're going to is, do you use art? Do you use art? No. But do you work with art sometimes to produce your, your poems then? Or was that? Um, that was for, uh, the, it was like um, an invitation from the Asian Art Museum in San Francisco. And they invited writers to do a kind of um, guide of a um, contemporary Asian art show um, where each poet was assigned a particular piece and the information about the artist was withheld so you just had the piece and then you wrote an ekphrastic or a, a poem in response to the piece and so I had um, peacocks with missiles and it was um, this beautiful kind of frieze silver ornamental piece and um, I um, just wrote a response poem in response to that and that was a recording you know so you would guide you would guide the um, people who were there to participate from painting to painting, and then the, you would read the poem next to the to the artwork. <laughs> it sounds like it was a lovely experience, mm-hmm. yeah. really. And and before we went on the air, you had mentioned mm-hmm. that you don't really like readings too much. Um, <laughs> and so how how do you how do you well mm-hmm. now that Great Guns is out, mm-hmm. you're going to do a few of them or so. Mm-hmm. But um, what's your strategy, Farnoosh? Yeah. Um, it's not so much a strategy as it just feels like. Um, let's see. So I just I really don't like just reading my poems just you know straight away and alone. That just like that. And I don't just think it's shyness. I think that I feel a great discomfort because it doesn't feel right for the poems. It doesn't feel right for um, the way that I see the poems. I you know I don't necessarily see them as mine. And um, I just it, it just makes more sense for me to think of performance as an extension of the text and to try to find a way that feels true to the poems themselves. And that, so I feel like for me the poems. Um, invite different kinds of approaches to reading and so as my part of my um, touring I'm I'm exploring a hundred alternatives to poetry readings and I'm going to write about it for Jacket 2 magazine as part of their commentary on poetry and performance and um, 
So I, you know, so tomorrow um, at the uh, the reading with Anthony Madrid at five o'clock um, in the University Museum, um, we will each be giving a reading, and mine will be a kind of alternative performance. Um, so can you will it? Yeah. Is there a Will it spoil it if you tell us well, about what it? Or I can, or I can tell you another one that I've done that's not the one I'll do tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for uh, recently, I, I um, did something called I called it an oracular enclosure, and um, just built you know just I mean built put a curtain, <laughs> a velvet kind of curtain over um, a wooden frame and um, seated eight. So seats on both sides of this curtain and had different holes along the curtain and some were ear holes, some were eye holes, some were seated ears and some were standing ears and, 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 and vice versa. And then there was a ladder. And so <laughs> the, um, the structure was inspired by, uh, well, not the structure, but the style of re- reading the poems was inspired by um, Rhapsodomancy, which is just the, you know, basically just, you know, using a poem or a song as a means of divination. So like an oracle. And um, in Iran, in in, um, ancient Iran... Um, this is uh, this has been a long time practice, and so Hafiz, um, for example, or Rumi, <laughs> hand over heart, um, uh, you know, people will say, okay, let's consult Hafiz for your for your fall, which means like your fortune or your divination. And do you kind of think a question to yourself or you maybe don't even think a question and then someone opens to a random page or you open to a random page and then that poem becomes your your fortune. And so I felt that this really resonates with how my poems work anyway. So for me, a more apt kind of performance style would be to create an oracle and have, you know, people who come in and there's like a barker, like my friend, she was a barker. And so she kind of um, had this fishbowl and and you think of a question, and then you take your seat, or you stand if it's a standing position, and um, the burning by question the cur- by yes, the curtain behind the so curtain become one of the ears. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. And on the other side, there will be someone on the other side. And so, what you would do is you'd pass your, you'd think of your question, you'd pick out a poem title, you'd pass the poem title through the hole, and on the other side, the oracle would recite your poem. And these were all my poems. So. Um, and the great thing was that it was a kind of machine that worked on its own, like a kind of reading machine. So once you had your oracle read to you, then you were invited behind the curtain to read for someone else. And so then, you know, once there were enough people, once there were eight people in it, then they kind of just rotated new people in and out, in and out. Yeah. And um, it's incredible because I think what happens is people um, people feel invited to make the poem their own, which is what poetry does anyway. You know, it has that quality of, of openness. And, um, and you know, like the I Ching, for example, is more explicitly saying, you know, read into this what you may. But I think poems do that anyway, and I feel like my poems especially encourage that. So, so yeah, so people, you know, they get really into it, and then they feel like it's theirs. It's their fortune. It's their poem. They know what it means, and, and they do. So, <laughs> so, yeah, so that's like, that's one, that's one style. And in Iran, just real quickly, um, the way that they do it at Hafiz's grave slash gardens is um, oftentimes there'll be these kind of street kids um, outside with with canaries. And so they train their canaries to pick out these um, cards or titles. like, And then, then, then the little boy or little girl will read you um, for whatever, you know, a dollar or something, will read you your Hafiz fortune or poem. And so you can still see that, you know, in practice, people getting, you know, little kids and um, their birds to, to give them their 
their oracle. <laughs> wow. And how auspicious that the, they're canaries and you're canary impressed, like these little, they, yeah. they, these connections in our lives. <laughs> yeah, my right? dad has uh, canaries. And so he was like, you can borrow some for tour. <laughs> so <laughs> is that going to be one of the 100 alternatives? That is one of the, the ones. Canaries will... <laughs> <laughs> totally. I haven't trained them yet, but I will over the next year. <laughs> it's going to take some time, but it's going to be worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that actually, how long will you be doing these one like what I is mean I think scope? however long it takes I'm you know it's good to have a constraint to help you to you know generate these things but I don't want to say you know I'm not going to push too hard to get them all done this year but it would be nice to to come up with a bunch of them this year <laughs> so. and they sound are they all going to be like that for Noosh where because that sounds pretty in depth what you just described <laughs> or will there be maybe mm-hmm. shifts in it but mm-hmm. similar I don't yeah, I think, you know, ultim- I mean, the concept of the oracle may sound more complicated than it is, but it's just a curtain, mm-hmm. you know, with some holes in it. Right. And, um, you know, uh, most of the performances ideally don't require that much production. And, and, and that serves both kind of like, you know, as a mm, poetics that like, doesn't take that much to transform your <laughs> your reading into your performance style. Um, and do you read one? at all or is that or would it be a mystery like would you maybe be behind the curtain I am behind the curtain yeah I'm behind there I go in and out like if there's a spot open I definitely do so (laughs) yeah it's just you know and it's much more intimate that way which feels more appropriate I mean you know so (laughs) and so you say a few words at the beginning Mm mm-hmm yep say some few yeah and I'm not like really averse to you know if people (laughs) people really wanted me to read a poem I I would so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but you're not a jukebox. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, the oracle mm-hmm. answers the questions. And yeah. In a, um, well, that's wonderful, Farnoosh. What a great idea. <laughs> Thanks. And it seems important because um, you have what what to do with the poetry reading so mm-hmm. that it isn't something that feels like there's like a like a master's voice or, so, or something. I mean, it's fine. I think it can be great. I just, for myself, I know that this was necessary. You know, it's like a necessary step of writing the book and putting it out there. Um, but some people do great readings just getting up and, and doing their readings. Um, so. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, it do, it's clear that you're not frowning upon anyone's <laughs> chosen method. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all that. Um, but but just that there is something about that can be very static mm-hmm. about any readings, not mm-hmm. not just poems, mm-hmm. any sort of readings. Mm-hmm. And so this is a, a great, um, I don't know. I think mm-hmm. this is, it's long overdue. No, it's great. <laughs> Well, um, you've also, you're no stranger to working at a radio station mm-hmm. and also interviewing. Mm-hmm. So for, um, was it is the Rail, Brooklyn Rail, mm-hmm. that you did yeah. a, a couple of pieces? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Stanley Kunitz and James Sherry. Mm-hmm. How'd that come to be? Um, I think, I, you know, I was like 21 or something in Brooklyn and really interested in the fact that there was like a paper a paper in po- poetry and uh you know interviews and things like that were part of this like political and cultural newspaper and i just wanted to be involved with something that had a wider reach and um so i just approached them and i got to let's see i think james sherry was assigned to me but it was a great great um assignment because i was interested in language poets and and so i learned a lot by doing that 
and then um, and then Stanley Kunitz was um, a, it was right on the eve of his hundredth birthday, and so I was just very fortunate that my friend from NYU was uh, his assistant, Janine Lantine, and um, so she invited me to come over and and got to meet him, which is just a great honor and. Got to ask him questions, and <laughs> that was it. It seems really that must have been exciting. So the, the, it's funny that the first one was also assigned to you, and because it informs so much of your present work as well, James Perry, mm-hmm. Sherry, Sherry. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's okay. that did not sound right. Yeah. <laughs> I could see it on your face. Really, like, hmm, that's not right. <laughs> um, and so, so that must have. I wonder if that was in some formative moment for you too mm. that's shifted things i guess how can you tell us <laughs> <laughs> um hmm or you yeah. could have been writing limericks had you <laughs> sort of in, <laughs> interviewed <laughs> someone in that <laughs> no <laughs> well and so with interviewing is that just from your past you don't really you you don't it's because you said it's when you were 21 and that's something oh. or is that something that's informing your work even with mm. translating like when you mm-hmm. went to brazil maybe we can talk about that after the sure, break sure sure but yeah. Um, no, I meant it was just so long. So I was trying to remember, like recollect oh. <laughs> the the um, era in um, which I did that. But um, but yeah, no, I, I think it's it's much easier for me to ask questions of others um, than say I don't know write a paper about someone or a review. And so um, it just it's a great opportunity to just learn about someone and kind of you know just immerse yourself in their work and I'm tell- speaking to someone I'm preaching to the choir because I feel like that's your that's what you're doing so great so um so yeah I, I relate to that and then translation we can talk about after the break if you want um it's a different kind of interview <laughs> okay well then yeah. let's take the break okay. and then we'll come back and we'll hear Farnoosh's next um musical selection okay. um for us Farnoosh Fatih here today her book Great Guns mm-hmm. I'm T Hetzel we've got Greg and Stephanie behind the glass you're listening mm-hmm. to Living Writers on WCBN FM Ann Arbor we'll be back <laughs> When I start making love, I don't just make love, I be stroking. That's what I be doing, <laughs> I be stroking. I stroke it to the east, and I stroke it to the west. I stroke it to the woman that I love the best. I be stroking. Let me ask you something. What time of the day do you like to make love? Have you ever made love just before breakfast? Have you ever made love while you watch the late, late show? Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever made love on a couch? Well, let me ask you this. Have you ever made love on the back seat of a car? I remember one time I made love on the back seat of a car, and the police came and shined his light on me, and I said, I'm stroking. That's what I'm doing. I be stroking. I stroke it to the east, and I stroke it to the west, and I stroke it. 
You're listening to Living Writers on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel today in the studio. Farnoosh Fatih is here. Great Guns, the book, um, just out with Canarium Books. Um, Farnoosh, thanks for picking that one. Um, for <laughs> <laughs> That was, it almost makes it feel like Friday. <laughs> <laughs> for you that couldn't see Farnoosh was also dancing like really this was tearing up the studio here <laughs> oh. and you can go and hear Farnoosh and the um and Anthony Madrid tomorrow at the art museum five o'clock Helmut Stern auditorium mm-hmm. um so just keep that on your your calendar too and there'll be some it'll be a performance uh of the poem. Mm-hmm. So that's something um, that should pique your interest out there, everybody. Um, so, so let's, let's get back to some, po- actually let's hear a poem okay. or perform a poem okay. or what, sure. whatever you'd like. Farnoosh. Um, okay. Um, let's see. So I was thinking we could do a poem that's a kind of chorus. Um, so you, it's called to hear cicadas. And so you can read a stanza, T, and then I'll read one, and we'll just alternate till we get to the end. Okay, okay. <laughs> do, you, do you want to go first? Sure. Or? Okay. Um, so both of the characters, um, their names are Beef, so... Do we say that? Do you... Uh, is it in... Do we say Beef each time we read, or... Oh, I don't think we need to. Okay, okay. <laughs> We've been introduced. Okay. Okay. Two here cicadas... We are here between trees with the tempo of a rosary being strung in a queue of escalating beads. It's not quite the count in the counting house of my chest, but the heart does make an awful attempt. A T and a circle, wherever it may be, there was music coming on. Which, though machinery-like, moves not in cogs and never springs, but waves through. Like wired applause for antic backstage buds on the pre-comeuppance buzz, but it fades. But only after the chorus is pulsed. It drops off with sudden decision, like fountain water, gone dross. Or it reaches the furthest point. The branch turns from us and is for some arcfully quiet. Until the roulette snaps its jaw and the choir's circuit opens to one. Like a pigeon, unhinged, its wings in sudden, white-rumped ascent. Unopposed by iridescence. Unopposed by iridescence. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Ann Arbor. <laughs> um, so why, can I ask you, why beef now? Because the characters, when it was a, mm-hmm. maybe originally published on Poetry Foundation, mm-hmm. or, yeah, they're, right. it's different. It's mm-hmm. like, is it Tennessee and Carolina yes, or so? Yeah. So, and, so that's... Mm-hmm. That's a big difference, and then they're, now they're both called beef. So, <laughs> yeah, how can you can you talk sure. about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's see. So, um, I I um, chose beef because it's the nickname that one of my good friends has for me, and that I have for him. <laughs> and um, it just seemed mm, it just seemed like. Um, true to the spirit of the poems and the two kinds of people maybe that I would be imagining in dialogue in this poem. Um, I felt closer to that than to Tennessee and Carolina. 
Um, but yeah, that sense of, you know, poetry beginning in friendship and, um, you know, inside language or inside jokes or nicknames or whatever diminutives that they carry a poetry or for kind of fertility um, for poetry that w w we often um, forget or aren't aware of or, you know, or we keep just between two of us when it can be kind of um, uh, distilled into poems. So I think that's that's operating throughout the book um, in different ways. And um, that's just one that's very obvious. <laughs> oh. And it's throughout the book, though. Mm -hmm. Pranush, can you say more about that? Sure. Um, well, one of my best friends, Kristen Gleason, and I, um, she and I... Uh, the we, collaborative poem. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. She and I grew up um, near Palos Verdes. Um, and there are a lot of tumbleweeds that grow near the cliffs. And um, oh. <laughs> we used to buy tumbleweeds. <laughs> yeah, we used to chuck them down, and or, or I'll help you along, tumbleweed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then um, and then we started. I mean, it's just a natural. Like we've always had, um, you know, that instant desire to preserve, um, you know, what happens between us in, in language, and and um, so uh, the poem tumbles was just. A natural um, kind of, oh, actually it was um, a friend, Brandon Shimoda, another poet, he had a questionnaire that he was inviting all these writers to do. And uh, she and I asked if we could do it together, and she answered one question, and I answered one. And we decided to just speak in terms of, of a language that um, that felt like it was, you know, for, coming from our deepest affections for each other. And, and, um, and yeah, so that that she has, you know, for every one of mine, she has one, and, and it's kind of an ongoing, you know, kind of hopefully lifelong um, collaboration. So, yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I could decode some of the stuff for you, but the idea is you don't necessarily need to because it, could you, you know. Could you decode as an example of something? Mm -hmm. or Yeah. Um, let's see, just open to one, and then, um, right, so like, uh, let's see. This Do is towards the back of the book. Mm -hmm, yeah, it's uh, the first poem after section three. So I'm trying to see what would be a good story. Um, okay. Um, so like in the second one, it ends, the places moved around like lightning, that drool of storks presaging babies and laughter like burst water balloons. And when Kristen and I were in college, um, uh, we... We used to have water drinking contests because <laughs> we thought that was fun, and we didn't know it was dangerous. But we used to just get those big, you know, gallons, and we just chug, and then we turn on the recorder, and like oh. inevitably, we would just record ourselves talking and laughing, and then you'd hear this water vomit that would just come out like your nose and your mouth, and from laughing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't know why we thought it was a good idea to do that part where we recorded on top of doing it. Um, <laughs> so laughter like burst water balloons is, is definitely a reference to that. And it's pretty dense, you know, pretty dense, um, densely packed poetry. Um, so, but that's just an example. <laughs> so if you were to have like T.S. Eliot, like sort of like mm. the, your end notes yeah. could be quite extensive for this. That's true. Would you ever do that? Because that would also be a, like, I, that would be kind of a fun book to have as well. Oh, totally. I hope that Chris and I can do that. And I think like one of the potential extensions, like we did a reading together in which we made a marshmallow labyrinth because we used to call, um, <laughs> we used to call her bed the marsh, the marshmallow because it was so marshy. And, but it had this, you know, kind of a valley and we would, we'd have slumber parties, we'd both roll to the Into middle. That, yeah. 
So we called it the Valley of the Marsh. So, um, you know, we, we decided that in our reading it would be appropriate to have marshmallows. We had built a giant marshmallow labyrinth and had poems, sequins, and things all put into the marshmallows. And um, I think that... Wait, inside the marshmallow. So mm-hmm. each marshmallow had, had some... Had a had a tumble in it, yeah. Would it be like sort of rolled up? Rolled like, up. It, and mm-hmm. was it protected or just stuck through? Cause the, or did the marshmallow protect it sort mm-hmm. of in its... Some of, yeah, the of. marshmallow was protective and sometimes it was um, a flag coming out of the oh. castle marshmallow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then um, and you could take it with you. So the labyrinth would come apart as you as you kind of took took your um, marshmallow. So but, you know, ideally we could do, um, you know, performative footnotes in the sense that we could create a stage or a set or something or I don't know. Um, it'll be exciting to explore. So you've always been doing this then. Mm-hmm. So your your own this poetry, this tour won't be new for you. You've always been somehow. I think so. If not in a public way, I think in a private way, it's been happening. That marshmallow reading was just about a year ago, so <laughs> pretty recently. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners out there, I hope some of you got to got there to see. Okay, we yes. mustn't forget though. You've yeah. also um, well, there's so many things to talk about here, but um, your your time in Brazil that mm-hmm. was how. Put that in the scope of your writing life. Sure. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I it was kind of a teen dream to go to Brazil always. You know, when I was younger, I I was really into um, Joao Gilberto and all the bossa nova singers. And I thought, what is this language where everyone speaks like (laughs) candle flames? Like it's just the calmest, sweet thing. And I got there and actually not everyone sounds like that, but it was just as beautiful. And um, I moved to a place called Santa Teresa, which is up in the... um, in the kind of hills or mountains of, of Rio. And I moved there because I was reading Teresa of Avila, after whom that town or neighborhood is named. Um, I was reading her book, Interior Castle. I was super into it. And I thought, okay, this is where I should move. And the town is built around a, a convent, the uh, Santa Teresa, or, you know, Teresa of St. Teresa, oh. Santa Teresa convent. And um, so I... Uh, I did a number of things in Brazil. One of them was um, trying to get into that convent. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I just suddenly have you like sort of all in black at night trying to break in. But I'm sure that wasn't what it was. No, no, no. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're Carmelite nuns, so it's very um, cloistered. And so it was difficult. But I just really wanted to learn about Teresa of Avila from people who were and so I went there on behalf of the I found a way to do it through the Merton Center in Kentucky Thomas Merton Center apparently Thomas Merton had written some letters to the nuns in the 50s and this was right before they stopped keeping carbon copies they started keeping carbon copies of his letters and so I found this out and I was like well can I go there and try to look for the letters he sent them and they're like sure so once I tried wrote this really poor poorly written, you know, my Portuguese wasn't very good, letter about, you know, how I was coming from the Merton Center. And um, and then they were like, oh, Merton, Merton. And, you know, <laughs> they, they were saying this from behind this, you know, closed door. And then they kind of invited me up. And I was very, very fortunate to speak with um, the um, head nuns and um, talk about poetry, talk about Santa Teresa, talk about Merton, talk about, you know, Eastern and Western um, spiritual traditions. And so that was one thing that I didn't plan to do, but that that really had um, was was really great. And then another thing was Elizabeth Bishop was an inspiration in terms of, you know, being a poet who kind of carved out her own place in the world, uh, the poetry world. And and that was largely outside of it, you know, and yeah. so she spent most of her life, um, or at least her 
the longest she spent in one place was in Brazil, I think almost 15 years. And so um, I was interested in how she was a translator there and, and the ways that, you know, she spent she spent time in uh, in uh, Ouro Preto, which is where she had her home and um, and elsewhere. And so I kind of went to her home and I got to spend Christmas with um, the, the family that she was close with. Um, and that was really amazing. So so, yeah, had some had, had that was a big part. And then I'd say the third main thing was. Uh, working with translator poet friends that I made there and helping um, and them helping me <laughs> translate their poems into English. So, yeah. Oh, man. Let's take a short break and then we're okay. going to come right back. We won't <laughs> we won't listen long to the next musical selection. Okay. Um, <laughs> you're listening to Living Writers today. Farnoosh Fatih is here. Her book, Great Guns, will be right back. <laughs> when I opened the door and saw you smiling once again Felt so lucky and so warm inside. I opened the door and saw you smiling, even though the snow is blowing. It's so warm inside. Got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Farnoosh Fatih is here. Um, great guns um, out with Canarium Books. Um, tomorrow, Farnoosh will be reading at UMA, uh, Helmet Stern Auditorium, five o'clock with Anthony Madrid. Um, so you get a chance to go see her live. Um, Farnoosh, thanks for being on the show today. It's this such is a great. Pleasure. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, okay, back to Brazil okay, quickly. And sure. our, the Brazil and our imaginations, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, but working with these poets mm -hmm. when you were translating, when you went down there, was that something you were already going to do? Was this? It was something I was the... interested in doing and really hoped to do, but I didn't know who. How did you pick? Um, a friend of mine. Um, well, let's see. Actually, you know, this is through Facebook. Um, a, a someone, a friend of a friend on Facebook, knew a poet who lived in Rio and put me in touch with her. And then she was living in Sao Paulo and uh, um, her name is Verna Tichera. And um, she put me in touch with the poets she knew in Rio, which were um, Leonardo Gandolfi and Ismar Tirelli Neto. And so um, I met them and, and really loved them and, and they shared their work with me. And both of them um, are so talented and so different and um, were really eager to to um, collaborate on translations and Ismar's English was perfect and he's um, he was really helpful in in that process of translating and they are really conversant with um, you know just things that you know the the, the, the 
they were reading lots of contemporary writers and we had a lot of um, influences in common and things like that. So it's, yeah, it's really exciting. So you found some um, some compatriots down mm-hmm. to, to keep... And so was the translating work, was it also something... Because um, were you also producing your own poems there? Because mm-hmm. it sounds like you were just having so many... Ex- so much experience, so much to absorb. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it felt like I had a lot of time to myself to to work on poems. So I did, you know, all, all, all a lot of working on on the manuscript that I, that became Great Guns was was done there. Oh wow! <laughs> and then also this these trans. And so would you you just meet? And are they translating your poems as well? Um, I, I think yeah. I think Ismar did one. Maybe yeah. I can't remember, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, one thing at a time. I was just really interested in having <laughs> translating their work. <laughs> no, you're like, and here's my book. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I suppose. Yeah. The, and everything in its own time. Right? <laughs> oh, well, how, what an exciting experience to be in yeah. Brazil. And um, well, well, let's let's think. So, so writing, it feels like um, from speaking with you, Farnoosh has mm-hmm. just completely um, been at the center of your life. Like you've even in undergrad, it seems like you said you mm-hmm. declared a major mm-hmm. in it, even then, mm-hmm. formalizing it in mm-hmm. some way for for yourself, right? Mm-hmm. So um, what are some ideas you have mm-hmm. for writers of any age and mm-hmm. ilk? <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Ideas for writers. Um, hmm. Suddenly trying to think i'm kind of drawing a blank oh okay well no because it's only because (laughs) let me give you guys the backstory we were talking about this over email and i think i was telling farnoosh a little bit about well some people listening Mm -hmm. may even be putting together their first book Mm. or so or thank you no yeah um yeah i think in terms of putting together a first book some of the things that really helped me to remember were um and which I needed to be reminded of <laughs> were, um, you know, um, that what I was going to make was not going to be perfect, but that it was going to be that my, one of my best friends, Missy, she, um, has this Isabel Eberhardt, the, um, it, 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 French explorer who lived in Morocco and dressed as a man and was just very courageous and lost all of her, um, her writings, her, her novel and, and whatnot in a flood in which she died. And um, my, my friend Missy made an opera about her called um, The Lives and Deaths of Isabel Eberhardt. And she has, uh, she draws a lot of inspiration from her. And she has this quote on her wall that said, that from Isabel Eberhardt that says, um, what I make is not perfect, but it is an honest attempt to make something beautiful and original, you know. And um, that was something that she continued to remind me of. And when you're working on a first book and, and it's hard to let go of it, um, you know, that was really helpful to keep in mind. Yeah. And what a wonderful um, sort of what a what a story mm-hmm. as well. <laughs> yeah. Huh. So, well, well, Farnoosh, um, this this great guns, mm-hmm. it's such it's such a wonderful book. And there are so many. What's interesting, too, is you know, oh, great. Like talk, speaking of the Oracle from earlier, I mm-hmm. opened to page 19, uh-huh. Honey Manila Portfolio. And says, this is not a book. <laughs> Otherwise, by now, we would love each other. You would not put me first. Oh, so it's funny because I was going to talk about it as a book. And mm-hmm. now it's telling me it's not a book. So I feel <laughs> it's suitably reprimanded. <laughs> but but can maybe we can talk a little bit about mm-hmm. lyricism mm-hmm. and sort of... Um, 
sound quality mm-hmm. as part of if there's a narrative or mm-hmm. as or sense making. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so I, you know, I think when I started writing, I think I've always been kind of a, a lyric poet, and um, um, if there's a relationship between music and mm, thought instead of narrative, I'll just say thinking. Um, you know, there's always been a kind of question or tension between who, what, what, which is leading which. Is it the music that brings about the thought, or is it the thought that drives the music, or is it kind of an equal tension between the two? Um, so, um, you know, for me, I think initially, you know, like let's say I was feeling really sad and I was, you know, trying to write a poem, you know, just about sadness somehow. You know, this is a very simple example, but you know, I would, the feelings were sad, but the language that I was coming up to was making me happy <laughs> or the music was booing me up. And, and so, you know, if you think of just nursery rhymes that often have, or ballads that have, you know, a very kind of sing songy rhythm or music, um, they can even be saying something grim. Well, that's in a- exactly, exactly. So I feel like that is one of the things that happens for me with lyricism is, um, that tension between, you know, the, the darker and the, the melodic and one kind of lifting the other and, and even, um, kind of an interpersonal or like, mm, different psychic, um, kind of forces too, not just dark and light, but, you know, um, relationship between yourself and the world, I think, is manifest in the music um, versus the, the the theme or content um, in that, you know, like I, I would think about whenever I was writing, I would think about, um, not whenever, but, um, <laughs> you know, I, you know, like in a relationship when, you know, one person is really stressed out and the other person suddenly ha- calls upon resources and the ability to be very calm you know, mm-hmm. or let's say if someone's talking or singing or something really <laughs> in the spotlight, the other one might become quiet and become a stage or, you know, or an audience. Yeah. Um, and so for me, I kind of felt like between what was happening in the sounds versus what I was communicating, either feelings or whatever, that sometimes it was like a weird imbalanced relationship. And like, you know, that I was feeling the burden of the relationship to the world Um you know, and, and that maybe the sound that was coming through in sound. And so, so writing poems can really transform that, you know, that sense. Um, or it can just show you what, how, show me how I'm relating. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's another thing. And then maybe the third thing would be, um, there's this, uh, I, I, you know, St. Francis and yeah, um, in this uh, biography by G.K. Chesterton that um, he wrote, it's really beautiful. Um, he talks about how St. Francis was a poet and when he was young, and he wanted to kind of carve out his own space as a kind of religious practitioner. And he was into the troubadours, the French troubadours, but he felt that he wasn't a troubadour. He felt like he was, you know, a religious person. That, And so he tried to come up with a name or something that would... And and so there was a legend that Chesterton chase, traces um, St. Francis and his troops name back to, and they were called the Tumblers of Our God or Tumblers of God, and um, and uh, and so it, it, the, the the in the legend it's a medieval French legend in which there's a tumbler who is really crestfallen because he looks about around the king's court and sees that everyone has these you know powerful positions of great you know prestige or um and respect and he feels like he's kind of worthless like how can he show his worth or his adoration or his you know 
devotion to God and um, just as a, as a kind of joker. <laughs> and so um, he goes into every day, he begins to go into a crypt in which she hangs the portrait of the Virgin Mary. And um, this story was called the Tumbler of Our Lady, of Our Lady Mary. And he would go in front of the, the, um, the portrait and privately tumble and just do tricks for the Virgin Mary. And, um, and, and then in the legend, it says that, um, you know, he would, he would stand on his hands and his feet would be, air, would be in the air. And it said that his feet were moving joyfully, but his eyes were weeping. And so it was this really, um, it felt for me a really apt kind of description for what poems do, you know, and, and what poets do at least. Um, and, and Emerson actually talks about the poet juggler who does that too, and kind of turning the world in another way um, from another perspective. And then that tension between kind of joy and sorrow being, you know, there. Um, and maybe also that, that kind of private um, devotion or kind of creation of self-worth or meaning. <laughs> That's um, amazing, Parnoosh. Yeah, and so for St. Francis, it was amazing because he was just a very restless, m- restless kind of um, almost like a Sufi, and he learned from the Sufis about their dervishing and like spinning. movement. Mm-hmm. And he identified with that, so he called himself and his friends, you know, and his followers the, the tumblers of our Lord. And so it's like whatever emotion or energy you have becomes your prayer, or whatever medium in which you work becomes, you know, or like Rumi says, let the beauty you love be what you do. There are a hundred ways to kneel and kiss the ground. And so, you know, it's, it's very encouraging to, to, to think of to think that, you know, that, that that for him, he didn't have to be a cloistered monastic. He could be, you know, whatever, and redefine it for himself. And then, and now it's, you know, part of the practice of Franciscan practice is, is you know, taking taking up those kinds of approaches <laughs> too. Yeah, so. And part of how you see your work as a poet in the mm-hmm. world. Will there be some of your um, poetry performances, will there be tumbling? Oh, that's a great idea. <laughs> Definitely, I hope so. And I love how that the work with your friend Kristen mm-hmm. is called Tumbles. Yeah, too. isn't that so yeah. it's perfect? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think it's just poets that think everything's connected. I think it just is. It just is. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Thank for you being so much. This has been such an honor and so great to talk to you. Thanks for all your thoughtful work and your questions and your attention. Yeah, well, I really thank, appreciate it. And thanks, thanks to you, Farnoosh Fati, for great guns and coming by the studio. And you're thanks. welcome. So anytime thank you so uh, much fellow radio thank you um, person um so thanks, just drag thanks stephanie oh. <laughs> and all of you guys out there listening remember tomorrow um uma 5 p.m mm-hmm. um farnoosh fatih will read with anthony madrid farnoosh's book with canaria books great guns i'm t hetzel until next time <laughs>
This is Free Speech Radio News for Wednesday, March 13, 2013. In Los Angeles, I'm Dorian Marina. Coming up, U.S. lawmakers hear from survivors of sexual assault in the military as they describe a lack of accountability. On the officer side, there was definitely a sense of, of an old boys club, uh, colonels protecting lieutenants, colonels protecting staff sergeants. New York residents call for justice after the police shooting of a teen in Brooklyn. And we'll go to the Republic of Mauritius in the Indian Ocean, where the Chagos community is still fighting to return to their home after decades of removal. Those stories and more coming up. I'm Jess Burns with headlines for FSRN. Legislation to allow same-sex marriage in New Zealand passed a second reading in Parliament Tuesday night. The measure received resounding support in a 77 to 44 vote. Lawmakers also defeated an amendment that would have sent the issue to public ballot. There will be one more vote before same-sex marriage is legalized, but the wide support last night strongly indicates the measure will see final passage. Suspected militants attacked a paramilitary post in Indian-administered Kashmir this morning, killing five people. Two of the militants were killed in subsequent fighting. It's the first such attack in Kashmir in three years. FSRN's Shanawas Khan is in Srinagar, where the violence occurred. Militants attacked a camp of a major Indian paramilitary group called the Central Reserve Police Force. Police said militants disguised as cricket players attacked from the grounds of a nearby school. Apart from the seven fatalities, at least 10 people were